You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 612 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Sunday evening into Monday morning, and the majority of this podcast will be an interview that I did with Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball and Basketball Monster. Josh is the best in the business, in my opinion, when it comes to fantasy basketball talk and also a heck of an NBA analyst, so you'll want to stay tuned for that conversation, which is coming very, very soon. With that said, there was one piece of news that I wanted to touch on that I had not touched on just yet. It was a couple days ago now, but the Hawks came to an Exhibit 10 agreement with Marcus Derrickson that was reported by Sham Sarania on, I believe it was Friday afternoon. Derrickson um, is a 6'7", power forward type, combo forward type that appeared in 11 games last year for the Golden State Warriors. Also played most of the year in Santa Cruz with their G League team, where he averaged about 14 points, 6 rebounds per game in 35 games. Uh... Derrickson, I don't know a ton about. I've seen him play a few times um, in summer league settings and G League settings. Um, 42% from three last year, though, is probably the most interesting thing about his game. And and, and uh, during his time at Georgetown, where he played college basketball, where I saw him actually a little bit more than I've seen him recently. Um, three seasons there at Georgetown, he shot 40% from three in his time there. So that is the number one, um, I guess, claim to fame for Marcus Derrickson is his, his ability as, a, as someone who's 6'7", like 240, 245, to go, out, to go out and shoot it. That's pretty intriguing in some ways. He's 23 years old. If you are uh, new to the podcast or maybe may have listed it, may, may have missed this description when it came to Ray Spalding, an Exhibit 10 contract allows for the Hawks to have Derrickson in training camp, but does not mean that he'll be on the regular season roster necessarily. Um, his contract will be guaranteed for $50,000 or less. That means that the Hawks can have him in the G League as well if they don't want to keep him full-time. That co- that contract allows them to keep him in the G League and keep a closer eye on him. So you might see Ray Spalding and Marcus Derrickson quite a bit in College Park alongside Charlie Brown and Brandon Goodwin this year. So no, that's official there. That's That would be the biggest thing there. It's more of a training camp contract than anything else, but obviously um, there is a roster spot path for Spalding or Derrickson or both, potentially I suppose, to uh, make their way to the roster this year, This year. but the Exhibit 10 contract is basically to make sure those guys stick around in the G League, and that's a pretty good thing. Um, so with all, all that said, the Hawks still have 13 guys under contract. They have 13 guys on guaranteed contracts. A pair of guys, uh, I mentioned those before, but Charlie Brown and Brandon Goodwin on two ways, and now Spalding and Derrickson on Exhibit 10 deals. So nothing huge to take away there. That was the one roster move that I wanted to mention over the last few days. One more note before we get to Josh. Uh, he is from Australia, so you'll notice the accent right away. Hopefully that does not bother anybody, but Josh is very, very good as an analyst and uh, a fun about a half hour conversation that's coming your way momentarily. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast and also hang on through this break. And uh, after after the short break for our, for our sponsors, we'll get into the podcast with Josh Lloyd. Josh, thanks so much for joining me on this fine Sunday. How are you, sir? I'm very, uh, very good, Brad. Good to be on the show. Absolutely. Uh, and as I said in my little intro, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. It's not something we do a ton of on the podcast, but I, uh, I think you're also a, a very good basketball analyst in addition to your fantasy basketball analysis. So plenty that we can get to on the pod. In fact, I want to start with something, but that's not really fantasy driven. So I'm throwing you a curveball here at the very beginning. What do you make of this Hawks team just in a in a vacuum right now? Obviously, the future, it's more of a future driven team than a present driven team. But uh, what do you make of them as this season is uh, approaching now? 
I think they're going to be really fun to watch. Now, I've been relatively critical of some of the moves that Travis Schlenk has made. Um, I didn't like the the move for DeAndre Hunter. I thought some of his trades have been questionable, but also some of the selections have been really, really strong. Obviously, Trey Young played so well last season, but there's just a lot of fun on this team. A lot of guys who are interesting to watch, a lot of guys who can do unique things, and to see all these guys grow and to build a core with all these guys at a similar age, with some veterans sprinkled in, I think it's, a, it's an interesting way to go about it and to be... This team that's taken on their salary dumps to acquire assets, I think, it is a good piece of a uh, good piece of practice when a lot of the other teams in the league are going the other way. For sure, uh, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I've been critical of certain certain decisions and certain process things. I also think that the Hawks should be given a ton of credit for you know for sticking to the rebuild timeline, not trying to speed up too much, yep. and also doing with those moves that you're mentioning, taking on money to get assets. Something that I think teams don't do enough of, and the Hawks um, have not gone out and really tried to push and get these short-term veterans. They've uh, allowed the rebuild to just sort of unfold, and I've really appreciated uh, covering that. I think it's a very smart thing to do. Um, you mentioned Trey Young. I want to start there a little bit with, with Trey. Obviously, the numbers improved over the course of last season to the point where uh, you know his season-long numbers were pretty darn good. Um, his efficiency improved. It wasn't lights out uh, on a full-season uh, spectrum, I suppose, but um, once he settled in, it was pretty solid, and I think uh, in, in my limited looking around at, fan- at fantasy stuff, people are pretty excited about Trey Young, and obviously it's easy to see why with, with the points, assists, threes, and all, all that stuff. So what, what do you make of him uh, as a player and also as a fantasy player for the upcoming season? Well, I think you know, we look at what he did last season and you, and you touched on it. We all know how much he struggled to begin the season, but over the final 25 games of the season, he was a top 20 fantasy player. And, and that was with shooting. Yeah, he wasn't, as I said, he wasn't shooting fantastically. He was 34% from three. That's not, it's not great. Okay, it's solid enough. But if he pushes that to 36, 37, 38% from three, uh, his two-point percentage goes over 50%, which is still a little bit away from. But if he can do all that, then he becomes like a top 15, top 12. Maybe he's a first-round fantasy guy because in that time frame, he averaged you know, 24 and nine and a half. And I don't think he's going to really average less than 24 points a game this season. Like, Who's coming in to take those shots away from him that he was doing at the end of last season? It wasn't like, and you see plenty of rookies coming at the end of their first season. Other guys sit out, they get rested, and they, they get, I guess, labored with a usage that they'll never have at any other point in their career. That's not the case for Young here. So I think that what he was doing at the second half of the season, plus you might add extra efficiency onto it, I think he's going to have a massive season. I think he's almost a guarantee as a second-round player for uh, for this coming season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. The whole thing is uh, Trey Young is is not the only part of their offense, but he's certainly the biggest part of the offense as the engine. Uh, Minutes-wise, he averaged 31, 31 minutes a game last season. He was playing a little bit less early on when they had Jeremy Lin on the roster. This time around, they don't really have that um, that full-time backup point guard even on the team, and I think he's going to play even more in addition to just the permanent numbers that he's going to put up. So, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, I think like 24-9 and nine over the last 25 games. He finished with 19-8 and eight over the full season. I was expecting that to definitely go up. Um, the shooting's probably my biggest question. Not that he can't shoot, um, obviously he can, but the efficiency. I think that was if, if I told if I told a lot of Hawks fans that he shot 32% from, from three last year, they might have been surprised how low that number was. I think people see him as an established shooter and, you know, with good reason, but can he shoot in the mid to high thirties? I think he can, but until he does that, there's some question about whether he's, whether he's going to do that just because of the shot selection and the fact that he's carrying such a workload because, you know, they brought in some guys around him, but he's still by far the primary initiator and really the only uh, established guy who can really go out and create for other people on the team right now. 
He's the only point guard on this roster, really. Evan yeah. Turner's going to be handling some of those minutes. Cam Reddish might do it at some point, but he's the only point guard on this team. And we heard word from uh, from Schlank earlier on in the offseason saying that he and John Collins might push to 35 minutes a game. So you mentioning what he did over those last 25 games. It was only in 33 minutes a game, so he can actually play more. He wasn't at this crazy uh, Bradley Beal 37 minutes a night or you know, these guys are playing these huge minutes. He was playing 33, which is what? average for an NBA starter. So there's more that can happen there. And if that shooting comes up, the numbers are going to go through the roof. I'm pretty confident in that. And all ball handling decisions are pretty much going to go through him. For sure. Uh, one sort of, uh, I'm, this is my attempt to be kind of a nerdy uh, fantasy basketball analyst. Um, leagues that have turnovers versus leagues that don't have turnovers in them, I, I, at least in what, what I used to play a ton of fantasy basketball, it was a big distinction. And Young turns the ball over a lot. Um, are you worried at all if you're drafting him in, in a league that has turnovers that he's going to turn the ball over a ton? Is that just part of the package when you're getting with Trey Young? Anyone who listens to to me on, on Locked On Fantasy Basketball knows that I pay absolutely zero attention to turnovers. So even if my league includes turnovers, I just don't care. I, I don't care if these guys turn it over. I will gladly just lose that category because all these guys who put up a lot of shots, who get a lot of assists, who have the ball in their hands, who put up all these numbers, they're going to put, turn the ball over. The way that you can minimize turnovers is by playing players who aren't good. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to have, oh, yeah, that, that's great. I've got my low turnovers, and then I've got no points, threes, rebounds, assists, steals, or blocks. So that, that that doesn't benefit me at all. So I'll just gladly take any of these guys who get, you know, and Young's turnovers might be, he might be gets four turnovers a game. Oh, well, Harden will give me seven or six, and Westbrook will give me five and a half. I just don't pay attention to it because it's inversely correlated to production in so many other categories that I'd rather have those other categories versus turnovers. That makes a lot of sense, and I, I was going to point that out too, to a certain degree, not not quite the same way, but uh, just the fact that if you look at the league leaders in turnovers every year, it's a lot of good players. <laughs> uh, so, players. yeah, I mean, there was there was people during the season, um, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a rookie last year. Obviously, there were some people that were pointing out to me and others that he was turning the ball over so much, and it's like, well, a, I, I don't really care about that as a rookie, and in general, the guys who are, are carrying that that kind of usage at the point guard spot are just gonna they're gonna turn the ball over a lot, and his assists are going to be off the charts. Um, this is sort of a nerdy question, too, and maybe one that's, uh, you know, the one that we can't really guess fully, but can he leave this the league of assists this year? I think that's actually possible. I wouldn't pick it necessarily, but is that a possible outcome in your mind? Yeah, because obviously you have Westbrook getting all those assists in uh, OKC, and that's going to be a little bit of a different situation for him now in Houston, where I imagine that you know, Westbrook could get two, three fewer assists per game this season. That's a possibility. Um, could Trey Young crack 10 assists per game? Yeah, I, I, I think he could. I'm trying to think of other names off the top of my head of who else well, could be up It's funny, there. like Westbrook and Harden were both very, very high, and now they're on the same team. So that probably lessens yeah. their opportunities just a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's a realistic chance that he is a double-digit assist guy. And just trying to think of, of other players who might be double-digit assist guys, there's not that many that are coming to mind that are, that are going to be in that, uh, that sort of an area. Yeah, I'm looking now. The only guy last year in the whole league that I think got to 10 for the full season was Westbrook. So yeah. if he gets to 10 a game, which I think is very possible based on the fact that he had eight last year um, and will be playing more minutes and probably with a little bit more of a staff. I mean, it, we can debate on whether the supporting cast is better or not, but it's not it's not like markedly worse. Either. He finished fourth in the league last year in assists per game, uh, and that was trailing Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry, both of whom I would probably pick to be behind Trey Young. So... It's possible, man. I think it's uh, something I haven't talked about a ton, but I think he really could leave the league in assists.
actually going up this season because his assist took a big hit playing alongside Harden, and now he's not, obviously, and he's going to be running everything for OKC. So I could see his numbers going back up assist-wise, but I can see Trey being your know, top top three minimum, probably probably you know, top two. Very interesting to uh, monitor. Obviously, he's a pretty interesting player overall. Uh, the other the other big ticket item on the Hawks roster right now is John Collins, um, who similarly to Young put up impressive numbers in not that many minutes, only thirty minutes a game last year for Collins, um, but on very strong efficiency, almost twenty and ten last season. Uh, the big question is what kind of position he's going to be playing long term. But much like Trey Young, Lloyd Pierce tried to hold their minutes down a little bit, but I think they're probably going to go nowhere but up in terms of that. And his production, his efficiency was so impressive. What do you make of Collins? As I think obviously Young gets more headlines, but Collins was actually better last year for most of the season than Young was. Yep. And I think this year he's pretty much the only guy on the interior that's an established you know, pr- production guy. So what do you make of him? Well, you hit on the number one thing is the minutes. He only played 30 minutes a game last season, ended the season playing quite a few more than that. But he's, uh, his last five games, he tallied 20 points or more in, in all of those games. And another thing that people look at, and this is something that happens right across fantasy basketball and across the NBA in general, is people look at a, a player's whole season and they try and extrapolate those numbers out. And one of the number one examples of that is Collins, but another guy that people look at is, say, Derek Rose. They go, oh, look, he shot 37% from three last season. And, and that's true, but he shot like 55% from three for 20 games and then about 12% for the next 20 games and you know, which one of those is the real thing and people will look at this with Collins and go oh yeah but look how low his steal and block numbers were and they, they weren't good Yeah, 0.4 steals and 0.6 blocks are very very low numbers you know, the year before as a rookie 0.6 steals 1.1 blocks in, in 6 fewer minutes so that's big but we have to remember and I'm sure you remember this Brad so when Collins came back from his injury last season there was a stretch of about 2 months where I think he had three blocks and, and two steals over the course of like 20 games. Numbers which don't happen by anybody ever in the history of the NBA. You just have to be um, a complete non-factor to not get your hand on one steal for that time. I'm looking at it now. In his first, I think, 20 games, he had one steal. And those numbers are just, it's, it's impossible for that to replicate. So over the second half of the season, those numbers all started to come back. And after uh, in the March-April period, he had a four-block game, a three-block game, a two-block game. You know, he had steals in at least half of those games as well. And those numbers will push him back up plus the efficiency, plus the strong rebounding. If he plays at center, there's more opportunity for higher field goal percentage higher rebound rate, higher block rate as well. The free throws jumped up five percentage points last season. I think that he has a, look, he was the 51st ranked player last season. If he is not a top 30 player this year, I'll be pretty surprised. Adding an extra four or five minutes per game, I think he's going to really blow up. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and that's the biggest thing that I would uh, I jump to, you know, knowing a little bit about fantasy, like I do, not like on your level by any means, but the uh, the defensive stats were what jumps out to everybody. It was sort of a running gag last year during that dead period where he just wasn't getting any defensive numbers at all, and it, it definitely was unsustainable. Like he's not going to be that bad again. I, I, and obviously, we saw some pretty encouraging signs from him down the stretch. Um, that is the big question for me, though. Just overall on the court, is his defense offensively? He was really impressive last season across the board. I'm not 100 percent sure about a three point. Shooting just yet. I think it's, it's definitely a weapon for him. I'm not sure where that true number is going to settle necessarily, but everything else, the points and the rebounds are pretty much given at this point in time with the way that he's been playing. As long as he's healthy and he's not really had an extensive, extensive injury history, as long as he's out there with Trey Young, those two guys make each other better as well. But I mean, I guess the big the big swing skill it sounds like is his blocks and steals because everything else is kind of projectable. Yeah, well, we know he's going to score. We know he's going to get rebounds. We know he's going to be efficient. He's like a 34, 35% three-point shooter across his two seasons in the NBA. I'm looking at those steals again because they were, they were fascinating. 
he had one steal in the 2018 portion of the season. Just one. <laughs> that's, that's the, great. The and it's impossible. Like it, it'll just never happen again in that sort of uh, dearth of steals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, we're not breaking any ground that John Collins and Trey Young are uh, very good at basketball, but it sounds like uh, you're pretty high on them as draft picks. I mean, you know, top, what, 30, 40 guys for both of them, and obviously Young even even higher than that. It seems like yep. almost like they're better in fantasy than real life at this point, at least, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe they're actually going to be uh, that, that kind of production in real life as well, but um, I guess it seems pretty obvious, but uh, if you're a Hawks fan, go ahead and uh, try to try to draft John Collins and Trey Young because they're going to be pretty good this year, I think. Yeah, they're going to be fantastic. And I think that neither of those guys will get outside of the first three rounds in most fantasy basketball leagues. Sounds about right. It's crazy to have uh, Hawks drafted that high in fantasy basketball. Even when they were really good, it wasn't like uh, Al Horford and Paul Millsap were, uh, I mean, they were good fantasy players, but they weren't necessarily like always, you know, top 10 guys. Um, so there you go. Um, I was going to ask you, it's sort of an interesting transition here, but um, I've read a few different early projections. I'm going to ask you, I actually, I actually looked up a little bit of uh, stuff on your website, which I'm going to let you uh, plug later but uh who's the third best fantasy player in your mind on this team right now because that's i think a lot of people are going to say kevin herter and that's a reasonable response but do you have anybody that could challenge kevin herter for that number three spot on this team with what i've done so far so obviously you mentioned i uh, i do all these projections over at basketballmonster.com and i'm going through and doing uh you know all the teams preliminary projections at the moment i've done about half the teams at the moment so with the way that projections and rankings and all that work in fantasy basketball to do with uh, Z scores and, and averages and standard deviations. So you need a, a large sample for everyone to come in. And the more people that come in there, it can change players' rankings around. But with the way things are happening at the moment, Herder and Alex Lem are really pretty close at the moment in terms of who's going to be that next guy. That could change with other guys coming in. It's all to do with you know, relative strength and scarcity of numbers. So if in the next 10 teams that I go out and project, if there's a whole bunch of guys who block a lot more shots, then Len's relative value will drop. Or if it's a lot of guys who shoot threes, Herder's value will, will drop. So that, that could go either way. But I could see either of those guys ending up the third best player. Of course, Herder's role is a lot more secure than what Len's is. There are multiple scenarios that I could see Alex Len moving to the bench, whether that's John Collins at the five for a reddish Hunter 3-4 combination, or even a guy like Bruno Fernando coming in and taking some of his minutes. There's a lot more uncertainty with what Len can do, but he put up some pretty good numbers last season, um, especially when Dwayne Debman was out. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about Len first. I think Len um, is going to start this season for, maybe if not, maybe not all season, but probably most of the season, if not the whole season at center. But yeah. your, your point about his minutes is interesting in that um, something actually I've been talking about with the Peachtree Hoop staff a little bit, like how many minutes is he going to play? Last year was about 20 minutes a game. You figure without Dwayne Debbie, it's going to go up. But they were kind of hesitant to play Alex Lynn a ton of minutes last season, even when Devin was injured. So I... Um, I would definitely project more than twenty a game for him with the way the front with with the way the front court is setting up right now. But how much more than twenty can he play, or is he going to play on a regular basis? Because you know, with the way he shot it last year, um, kind of out of nowhere from three, that really helped him, I'm sure, as well. But it's kind of a, a situation where you just don't need. Uh, where I'm not exactly hundred percent sure how much he's going to play. When he plays, he's been pretty solid, and I kind of like Alex Len. I'm just not sure how much he's going to play. Yeah, he's not going to be pushing thirty minutes tonight. I don't think we should have that in our head. And I think he'll play. Uh, fewer minutes than what Dwayne Dedman's played over the last couple of seasons for the Hawks. And yeah, that 24 to 26 feels about right with maybe 26 for the first three months. And then it goes down to 23 as guys like Hunter and Reddish and Fernando start taking on larger roles in that February, March, April period of the season. I think that's probably more realistic. But you touched on his shooting. Over the last 40 games of last season, he shot 40% from three on a not insignificant amount of attempts, three and a half per game. And that's something that I don't think anybody would really know unless they were extremely focused on Alex Lynn. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, Lynn, I've, I've argued, was definitely underrated overall. And I think um, just the way that he shot it this year, I mean, sorry, last year, and just the production is going to be interesting. And I think um, he was at least on my mini list of candidates to be number three on the roster because of the fact that, for, for better or worse, he, ha- he has a pretty carved out role. How big it's going to be is up for debate, but he's the best center on the roster, the best true center on the roster anyway, with the way that they're, they're going to be playing John Collins. So he's going to play minutes, and uh, we'll see what he looks like. Um Back to back, back to Kevin Herter, who clearly is the number three guy on the team, just from a re- regular basketball standpoint. Um, three point shooting is clearly his big appeal in fantasy, I assume. But does he do anything yep. else that interests you, or is it a situation where it's like kind of like you know, it's kind of scoring in threes, and there's not much else there? No, what do I like from him? And we talked about it a bit earlier with, with Trey Young. Is that you know who else is the ball handler on this team? Well, I think it's going to be him. I think it's going to be Herder that's going to be able to handle the ball a little bit more. He averaged almost three assists per game as a rookie in only 27 minutes per night. I could envisage a situation, I don't know if it's going to be this season, that he has four and a half assists per game. I think he probably pushes more to, to three, three, three and a half, yeah, maybe closer to four in assists this season. But he is going to be that secondary initiator, definitely over Collins, over over Len. And if it's DeAndre Hunter, who's the other starter, he's not going to be getting assists at that sort of a level. So I can see Herder being that, that secondary guy who can get three, four assists per game, and that adds to his value. Uh, the, the shooting, obviously, is is a real strength, 38% shooter from three last year, even though his two-point percentage was poor and he's finishing at the rim. But that a lot of that comes with confidence, with strength, with um, with experience as well. So I, I can expect his overall efficiency to go up. He needs to draw more fouls. Again, that's more confidence yep. at, with finishing at the rim too. And when those things all come together, the increased two-point shooting, the finishing at the rim, the free throw attempts, the free throw shooting, and then his assist rate, I think that's going to lead to some pretty interesting numbers from Herder. For sure. And I think real life standpoint as well, getting getting the line more finishing well at the rim is a huge point of contention with Herder. Um, you know, he didn't even shoot that well at the line last year. I, I think his true talent is going to be a good free throw shooter. Um he just, he just, he just didn't get there very often really at all. It was it was kind of, it was kind of a comically low free throw rate. So want to see more of that. Say again. 0.7 attempts per game he had last season. I think yeah, that's uh, that's not a lot. <laughs> um, so this year, with with a, obviously a, a full time role from the beginning of the season, because last year they sort of, they sort of eased him in. He had the injury. He missed uh, a lot of time in preseason and kind of had a slow start. Now we know he's a starting shooting guard from opening day, and uh, maybe he'll play a little bit more as well. Maybe not up to this the level of, of Young Collins, but I think he's going to be pushing 30 minutes a game this season. Um, so that would really really be nice for him as well. Uh, I have to ask um, since you have you seem to have Herder and Len in the same kind of mini tier um how early are you looking at maybe drafting those guys i know it's uh, we're talking about this in august but obviously it's a it's a lot it's a lot lower than young collins but where do you sort of start considering those guys in a fancy draft well because i haven't projected everyone out yet it's hard to know exactly but i am doing a uh, a mock draft with a bunch of other fantasy writers at the moment actually it's not a mock draft it's, it's a real draft it is a points league so it's not your standard um, fantasy league but at about pick I think 86 I I was on the turn there so I picked 12 in the first round so I'll get the two picks together and at like 85 and or 84 and 85 whatever the picks were I took Alex Lane with one of those picks I think around that top 100 mark is, is probably the right spot for these for these guys Herder and Len they'll, they'll be around that mark with if Len plays 28 minutes a night, he can push top 60, top 70. Herder could maybe be a top 80 guy as well as the season goes on. So I think around that top 100-ish type of mark. But once you get outside the top 70, top 80, those guys are all so packed, you know, tightly packed together in terms of their overall value that there can be big variations in where they get picked. But I think that top 100 mark probably feels about right at this point. That makes sense. Um 
you know, it's really tough to project rookies and how they're going to look in their first season, um, both on the floor and in the box score. Um, I have to ask about DeAndre Hunter. I think I think Cam Reddish and Bruno Fernando are not likely to contribute a ton early on. Maybe you disagree with me on that, but I think Hunter's going to play um, enough to where he's going to be relevant in some ways. Now, what, what the numbers are going to look like is kind of up for debate, but what do you sort of envision for him as a rookie? Because rookies are generally bad. I always say that, but he's a little bit older, yep. more established of a rookie than some. So maybe he'll be a little bit better. I'm not I'm not sure. Well, he's the same age as John Collins for uh, for there reference in terms of his age. I don't I don't like DeAndre Hunter uh, as necessarily a good fantasy prospect. His numbers last season were a little bit underwhelming. Now, some of that is to do with the the way that Virginia plays defense. But for a guy coming out as a defensive specialist to have unbelievably low steal and block numbers is obviously a concern. And players who aren't going to be high usage, and he's not going to be a high usage player. Um, they have to be able to contribute in those other areas like steals and blocks to really have fantasy impacts. And I just don't see that for Hunter. He's not going to pass. He's not going to get steals. He's not going to get blocks. Now, I've given him a bit of a benefit of the doubt in terms of looking at those defensive numbers and thinking, well, I think it is Virginia's system. The slow pace, pace they played at as well is a factor there. So maybe he can generate those on a higher level. But he's just not going to have the the high usage to put up big scoring numbers. He was a good three-point shooter in college. I'm not convinced that's going to necessarily translate to the NBA, especially not initially. And then the low assist steals and blocks. Um, guys who have those low assist steals and blocks and low three-point volume, they can be a little bit Andrew Wigginsy, and that's not a great fantasy thing. And Hunter's also not going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. Yeah, I, I do think um, he'll be better real life than uh, in fantasy. But I had the same thoughts. Like I can't, I can't imagine him producing a ton of value early on. Um, the only saving grace is that I think he's going to play a pretty decent workload. But um, that's just what I wanted to ask you about there. Is there anybody else on this roster that is interesting? I mean, because you know the rest of the bench is interesting in the way they fill it out with Evan Turner and Jamari Parker and Alan Crabb, uh, maybe even Chandler Parsons if he's able to be uh, healthy and upright. Anybody else interesting? Interesting to you in like a typical league? or is it more like deep league stuff only for the bench guys? Yeah, I think that we've got those four young Collins, Herter and Len who are probably your standard league players. And then after that, it's more deeper league guys. Jabari Parker had some interesting moments in Washington. He was terrible in Chicago, but he did put up some numbers in uh, in Washington, but he's not going to have that same opportunity here playing the same position as John Collins. Maybe he can come in and play the four while Collins plays the five, but again, that's limiting Reddish and Hunter in their p- uh, potential roles there too. So I don't think he's just going to, he's going to get enough playing time. He'll probably score a bit, but he's not going to do too much else. Much like Hunter, those lack of defensive stats can really impact him. Reddish is an interesting one to me. Now he's still dealing with that core injury, but his numbers, we know how, I mean, I talked before Brad about John Collins and that comical lack of steals. Well, there's no way that can be something that continues. When you look at Reddish's numbers at, at Duke, you can't, well, nobody can be that bad of a two-point shooter consistently. Like, yep. it can't get worse than this. That's what I feel like looking at him. He cannot be that bad of a shooter, especially from two-point range moving forward. He can't be that bad. So there's got to be some improvement there. But one thing he did do is he attempted a lot of threes, hit them at a solid rate, and he generated steals at a really high rate. And those are two things which in fantasy, if the minutes come, he can actually be useful in that area. He can get steals, he can hit some threes, and if he starts to get minutes and you know, second half of the season, maybe he pushes into a Kevin Herter-like 27-minute-a-night type of a role, that could be a possibility. And he could start to maybe sneak into some value. And the same thing with Fernando. If they do end up going with him and playing him 25 minutes a night for the last three months of the season, he could come in and average 1.82 blocks a game. We saw him do it in summer league, block a lot of shots. He's uh, a big-bodied man who can come in there and get some get some rebounds, block some shots, and have a decent efficiency. So maybe there's some chances for, for Reddish, Fernando, and, uh, and Parker to have maybe some 
some impact, but otherwise not really. Yeah, I was thinking kind of along those same lines. Parker's numbers have always been sort of interesting, but I'm not sure he's going to play enough. In fact, I'm confident he probably won't play enough, barring injury. Um, and then Alan Crabb as a specialist might be interesting, but only if there's an injury ahead of him. Like, I can't imagine him playing a ton of minutes. Um, Evan Turner, same thing. Like, Evan Turner just doesn't shoot it, so uh, that's a problem. I think Evan Turner's actually going to play more than people think he's going to play, because I think, you know, backup point guard minutes and maybe some backup three or four minutes, but he just doesn't shoot, and that really, well, either doesn't or can't or a combination of both, I suppose. Um, but Turner doesn't really have too much fantasy appeal. I don't think even if he plays 15, 20 minutes a game, he's an interesting one. Cause if you look at his last three to four seasons, especially the ones in Portland, uh, well actually outside of last season, his assist and rebound rate really dropped. And then for some reason, last season it changed and it went back to some of the numbers he was putting up in Boston and Philadelphia, his assist rate and his rebound rate, they skyrocketed. So he could be an interesting player. And then we've seen, and people who, who play fantasy would be aware of this. The guys who can come in and you can stream off a waiver wire who get four assists per game, JJ Barea, Seth Curry, two names who really stand out to me that, hey, I need assists. These guys are going to come out and do it. Turner might average five points. He, almost, he also might average five assists in yeah. that bench run. It can might. be useful just for that one category. Yeah, he might do that just because the ball's going to be in his hands. That's the, that's pretty much the entire thought process that I can pass along is that when, when Trey Young's off the court, I think the ball is going to be in the hands of Evan Turner or Kevin Herter uh, most of the time. So if you view it through that lens, if uh, Turner plays a little bit with Young, maybe as a like a small forward, power forward kind of type, um, if he's playing you know, 20 minutes a game in that hybrid role. If Young's playing like 33, 34, something like that, and you give all those back and point guard minutes to Turner with some more, maybe it gets interesting there for him just because of the fact that, you know, he does a few things well. The lack of shooting is going to always hurt you, but uh, I think his, his playmaking is his best attribute on offense, and uh, that's actually pretty useful. Yep, for sure. I agree with that. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, anything else that we have not touched on that you want to share uh, Hawks-wise? And, and if not, uh, go ahead and plug all the stuff you got going on. I definitely am a regular listener to the to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, which you are, are the host of, and uh, all your content is fantastic. So people, please tell people where they can find you and all your stuff, man. Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I write for and project uh, fantasy basketball for uh, basketballmonster.com. And, of course, you can subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Basketball in exactly the same places that you uh, find Locked On Hawks. Absolutely. Go check it out. It's the best in the business. If I do say so myself, Josh may, may not say that, but uh, I will I will say it for you, my friend. And I really appreciate awesome. you uh, coming on. We'll, we'll do this again. I'm sure I'll be joining you at some point, talk about Hawks on your podcast, and uh, we'll, we'll cross back over. Cool. Thanks, Brad. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast on all the platforms that Josh just mentioned, and uh, we'll see everybody late in the week.